Welcome into Two Four Drafts. Oscar Gale here, the host of Two Four Drafts, a rookies and draft prospects podcast. Today, oh buddy, it is Christmas morning in Cincinnati. Bruce Feldman of the Athletic dropped his top one hundred and one freaks list. If you listen to this podcast, you know Mike and I love the freaks list. It's an excellent resource to identify some of the best athletes in college football, especially twenty twenty two NFL draft prospects. And at the back end of the show, holy shit, we're loaded. Colorado head coach Carl Dorrell. Texas defensive tackle Devondre Sweat, and then Kentucky running back bowling ball of butcher knives Chris Rodriguez Jr. Let's get it. had yourself a stellar weekend mm-hmm. and you have a story for the group here uh it's not really a story it's more of an anecdote i was uh going to the fc cincinnati game which is right down the road we're right next to it here down it's in a fantastic stadium i got tql they, they, stadium here they did some work is gorgeous gorgeous stadium uh in my opinion the best stadium in the cincinnati area right now uh i would hope so it's the newest one but yeah. it, it is very nice even for a soccer stadium not a big soccer fan but i'm walking to the game with my brother and someone shouts to me hey pff and me in my idiotic uh what did you say response was yeah pff mike is what i said back to him and i'm like oh my god what the fuck did i just do what happened after that i just walked away i just kept going that's a it was like in like kind of like a crowd and they're like hey pff and i'm like why the hell did i why was that my response yikes so that was uh that was kind of the tone of the it's weekend. It's a tough start to the pod. It's play, honestly a low. I know, right? And I played in a golf tournament that did not play well this weekend. So it was it was fun, but those were some L's that I took, more than a few. Seth Galina was in town for Cincinnati. Yeah. And uh, he stayed with me in my studio apartment on a recently purchased, while he was here, air mattress. Mm-hmm. And on his first night, got tanked on a Wednesday took a line back for the first time he's ever ridden the line one of those little scooter things mm-hmm. and he's uh, we're driving back and i'm in front of him and he freaking takes a monster spill hurts his elbow and his knee he, like limps into the house it was uh it was a good time though seth really really took cincinnati on head on and uh it was fun hanging out with him though pff underscore seth on twitter but he was uh it was cool to have him on, in town he was honestly hanging out with chris collinsworth a ton working with him because they're they're going to be working together on a lot of the Sunday night football stuff this year, which is awesome to see. Awesome to see. It sucks that he's out there in Montreal. Montreal. To start, before we get into the Bruce Feldman free list, because we're super stoked on that, C.J. Henderson. Jaguars, first-round pick from 2020, former Florida corner, guy that we've had on this podcast, quietly spoken dude, apparently not in favor of the Jaguars coaching staff. They went out and got you know Shaquille Griffin. They've added some other pieces there as well. I think uh, PFF reporter Doug Kide, new reporter here, had some inside info he tweeted out recently. Let me look at it. He said, new Jack staff isn't high on cornerback C.J. Henderson. Explains why they signed Shaquille, Gr- Shaquille Griffin, re-signed Cindy Jones, Trey Herndon, Trey Herndon draft, and drafted Tyson Campbell early in the second round. I'm interested to see, one, what the hell happened? You know, Why isn't Urban Meyer a big fan of C.J. Henderson? Two, what do you think his trade value is. Is it a 2022 second? I think Brad Spielberger of PFF said maybe a 2022 second and a 2023 fourth. That's where my head is, at least. It's definitely not a first-round pick after one year and kind of an underwhelming rookie campaign. Where's your head at with C.J. Henderson? Yeah, so, I mean, he started off hot. He had that big game week one where the pick, three pass breakups. Obviously, never that was the high for him that season. Got then hurt down the stretch, didn't play the last, I believe, like six, seven games of the year. So 
it was it was as encouraging as maybe any rookie corners though was. Nah, that's not a lot, saying a lot considering the rookie cornerback class really took some L's in year one. But the fact that he actually came out and had some high end games where not a lot of guys did, I mean, there's reason to be excited for him going into year two. But what was it? Or Myers press conference kept saying personal reasons or whatever for C.J. Henderson and the possible trade talks. That's trading the top ten pick though after one season and one encouraging season is. Not a good start, I'll say, for this staff and uh, where they're headed here. Now, I, it could be all on C.J. Henderson's part and none of the staff, but I'm just saying in terms of you want that guy to be a cornerstone in your defense right now. It doesn't look like that's going to be the case. Who's a team that you like to trade for him? I think people have floated around the Cardinals. I also think the Saints need to get a lot cheaper at corner. You're going to float the Cardinals for every cornerback. Well, right? every man corner. I mean, C.J. Henderson. I mean, it's C.J. Henderson. I'm just saying, yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, he's they don't a, have corners. I think they'll... They also play a ton of man coverage. The Saints are the intriguing one because they are always looking They're always looking to make plays, always looking to add some talent um, through every single avenue possible and to any detriment of their cap whatsoever, they'll be willing to do so. So that'd be the intriguing team to me that I think would be willing to move, uh, make a big move. Didn't allow 100 yards in any game. His worst game, 99 yards allowed against Houston in week nine, obviously before getting hurt towards the back end of the season. Like you said, week one, 83.5 coverage grade, had that interception and three passes defense. But since then, or after that, did not have a ton of success in Jackson. But still, no rookie cornerback had success last year. If anyone's pinning this on C.J. Henderson not playing well, I think that's just false. Like, there was no. not a there's not a single cornerback that after last season, and maybe outside of Jeff Gladney, that's not a funny thing, but outside of Jeff Gladney, I do think that there's not a single cornerback that you're walking away from like, hey, from a performance standpoint, we need to move on, especially with the investment, a top 10 investment with the athletic ability and the tools that C.J. Henderson has. I, I yeah. do think this is personal reasons. I do think, you know, Doug Kite is right that the staff either doesn't like Henderson or the Henderson doesn't like the staff. It's it's definitely something on the, on that realm. Yeah, this is not, again, it's like, it's more like the Isaiah Wilson situation, if anything, where this isn't performance. If anything, there's it's behind the scenes what's going on there that is dictating a type of move like this. It's not because C.J. Henderson doesn't fit into their scheme or something like that. That's what makes it so difficult, too, um, to kind of determine his trade value. Like, from a talent perspective, he's still you know, a first-round yeah. caliber player, but off the field, you don't really know which side of the coin is really, or which side of the, the two parties is, is having the biggest disagreement there. All right, mm -hmm. let's get into Bruce Feldman's freak list. Number one, surprising, honestly, no one. I was sh not shocked in the slightest that Evan Neal, the Alabama offensive tackle, PFF's sixth-ranked player in the 2022 NFL draft, is the number one overall player on the Bruce Feldman's freaks list. He is a monster. Six foot seven, 350 pounds, and what he, his jumping numbers, like he consistently hits 48 inches in the bro, bo, uh, box jump. He also had that split box jump that made waves on social media. He is an explosive dude with, I think, what, 22% body fat, like, which is an absurd number for an offensive lineman at six foot seven, 350. He is rare in every sense of the word. This is another one of those guys where, like, the size, the athleticism, the explosiveness, there's just too much good here to fail even Nick Saban spoke to him and said that he is absolutely different as a as a person as a like human being but also a hard worker and all those things I think Neil is you know shopping up to be a, you know probably a top five top ten pick lock I wouldn't say lock at this point because I do think it could be a good offense attack class but he is if you watched him on tape I don't think this is surprising like 360 pounds to move the way he does there's something freaky there now, now it's not like um he's not lane johnson out there he's not going to test he's not going to be a four eight 
guy. He's not going to have a you know forty inch vertical, but you have to sort of with all of these things, you got to adjust for how big these dudes are, and that's kind of one, two, and three on the, this list. Their numbers have been put up before, but their numbers at the size that these guys are is what makes it so rare. So for him to be three sixty, with like I said, his athletic ability is silly. He had the sixth most big time blocks in the country last year as a sophomore, true sophomore. And we talk all the time about how much development and physical development matters along the offensive line. When you see a guy who is a, an above average player as a freshman or sophomore along the offensive line, that's rare. That doesn't happen a lot in college football because you're going up against it's such a physically demanding position. You're going up against guys who are two or three years of physical development at those ages from ages 19, you know, 18 to 21, 22 matters a ton. So when you see a guy doing it the way Evan Neal does, yeah, I wouldn't call him necessarily top five, top 10 lock, but first round lock, we, we can put that stamp on him right now. First round lock for being one of the most rare human beings on the planet or rarest human beings on the planet. Next on the list, I was kind of surprised by this one. I didn't know Aiden Hutchinson was was this kind of guy. He has some really, really impressive three cone numbers uh, this past year. Before we do that, though, I, I saw this number two for Evan Neal. Benches 475, squatted 650, and at 350 pounds at 18.5 miles per hour on the GPS. That is some impressive stuff. But for Aiden Hutchinson, they're they're already making comparisons to Quiddy Pay. It's not it's not Quiddy Pay's six three seven three cone, but still six five four three cone according to Bruce Feldman's freaks list here. Four six four forty four zero seven shuttle, thirty six inch vertical. These are some crazy crazy numbers for a guy again his size who is what two hundred sixty five pounds. That is. Mm-hmm. That is absurd. Those are numbers that corners and running backs want to hit in those kind of short shuttle and three cone numbers. That is, again, another guy that is coming out of Michigan with special, special athleticism. Yeah. And I think maybe you just don't realize because you're lining up him next to Quiddy Pay and you're like, oh shit, like he's a step slower than Quiddy Pay. And he is, but I don't think that's anything to bad an eye at. Quiddy Pay was number one this list last year. So uh, I do think Aiden Hutchinson, to some, some of those, I'll believe it when I see it. Six, five, four, three cone is. Again, we'll believe it when we see it. Even the four six four, like you see him out in space. I'm not sure I necessarily believe that. To me, I would have guessed more like a high four sevens guy, but he is a physically imposing dude. And at six six, two sixty-five, he is that versatile three four defensive end sort of body type that honestly the guy he reminds me of the most. And it was a guy who was a freaky athlete coming out of the combine in his own right, it was Justin Smith. Um, the former 49ers defensive end, former Bengals great. He was a top five pick of the Cincinnati Bengals back in 01. That's who uh, it reminds me of watching his tape where it's like, it's that all-around versatile, like he can win in a lot of different ways. I think he's still sort of developing, though, outside of the the power move. Like he, he just needs to, he has the ability to beat guys with quicks, but he keeps going back to the physicality, I think, the next step for him to get his draft stock into. So he's 29th on the PFF draft board right now to get it into that top 10 to 15 range is start with the, get some, some more of those quick wins on his tape in the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, like you said, six foot six, two sixty five this past year, an eighty two point five PFF grade, one hundred forty nine defensive snaps. And the year before, I mean, we were talking about him as a potential twenty twenty one NFL draft pick. In twenty nineteen, he had an eighty two point nine PFF grade, eighty three point six run defense grade on over seven hundred forty defensive snaps. He's been a PFF guy for a while. Definitely going to be a guy with our Michigan ties. Shout out David Zofaro going to have to get on the podcast we've had a chase winovich and others always on the pod that's going to be an interesting one i'm excited for aiden hutchinson number three your guy notre dame's 
Kyle Hamilton, the safety. He's the fourth overall player on PFF's draft board and the third overall player on Bruce Feldman's Freaks list. This is another guy with some really, really wild numbers. You know, 21 miles per hour on the GPS, 41.7 vertical, 10.8 broad at six foot four, 220. That's six foot four, 220. And we talked a little bit when we did a, uh, a couple of episodes ago, talked a lot about the safety class and like, when you got a guy who's six foot four, two twenty, and can have the range that Hamilton does with the you know the twenty one miles per hour, this, this explosiveness in the broad and vertical, that is a difference making safety in the NFL. That is a safety we haven't seen enter the draft in quite some time. Yeah, like I, I think I've kept saying he's Isaiah Simmons, but at safety still, like he's, you're keeping him at safety because of that twenty one miles per hour, because of that range, because of that explosiveness. He's not out of place when you put him as a single high guy, as a as a you know quarter safety. He can do all of those things so like I said, 41 inch vertical and 10 8 broad that's been done before it hasn't been done a lot at 6 4 220 it just hasn't and especially at the safety position it's been done when you're 6 4 220 at wide receiver maybe that's like those are those are julio jones-esque numbers testing wise and size wise uh just on the defensive side of the ball i also think that um I'm excited to see because he's only a true junior, right? I mean, he is what he did this yeah. past year. We kept every time we turn on the Notre Dame games, which he did a lot last year. I mean, he's consistently making splash yeah, play game. after splash play as a true sophomore. I mean, this past year, he's 78.4 PFF coverage grade, six passes, defense, and a pick. And then as a true freshman at Notre Dame, 89.4 PFF coverage grade, four picks, and five passes, defense. This is the guy to look for. I know I'm a big fan of Brandon Joseph as well. There's a handful of other defensive backs, Battle, Elam, McDuffie, who's also on this Feldman's list Derek Stingley will bring up like this is a really really good defensive backfield that I am honestly stoked for this upcoming year all right moving down the list here here we go number four on our list but number seven on the Feldman's list is Purdue's George Karloftis more than a lunch pill guy more than a lunch pill guy with the with these numbers here the 36th ranked player on PFF's draft board Purdue edge George Karloftis shows up at seven on the Bruce Feldman freaks list well I think we always knew he's more than a lunch pail guy because the sort of the strength numbers here that he put up, 505 pound front squat, power cleans 380, are not surprising because as a freshman, he was one of the strongest defensive linemen in the country. Like, and that doesn't happen as an 18 year old by accident. You can't just, you can't just hustle your way to overpowering dudes in college football. He had something different physically to him. Now, had COVID last year, got hurt, did not see a leap in his development. So I think you're going to see almost two years of development from him this year. And, the, and my favorite part of this write-up here, and like I said, go, go check out this full article, read all these, uh, read all these write-ups that Bruce Feldman does because they're fantastic every single year. It's something that we'll be referencing from now until we get actual numbers on these guys at the combine, at their pro days. But he went from 25% body fat when he's come to campus to 15%. Stayed at 272 pounds though. Has not, his weight has not fluctuated, but he has dropped 10 percentage points in terms of his body fat, completely remade his body. And they say the hardest working guy, they have to shut him down from training. Uh, and just what he does from a diet and exercise perspective is insane. And I'm he's one of the guys I'm looking forward to seeing the most this year. Because like I said, I think you're almost gonna see two years of development from him because last year was such a wash. This should go out, go without saying, in the fact that we have this podcast episode, we're also going to bring Bruce Feldman on to the show here pretty soon. But go get an athletic subscription. I mean, the athletic does really good work. So does Bruce Feldman. Look at some of these anecdotes here. He played on the U16 Greek national water polo team at 13 years old. <laughs> Two-time Indiana State champ in shot put. 
and st- started for three seasons on the high school basketball team. This is as part of his preparation. He spends an hour a day doing hand-to-hand combat and MMA drills, an hour on rehab and mobility exercises, and a third hour watching film. This guy's a monster. This guy's an absolute monster. Stuff that you can only get from Bruce Feldman, who's actually connected with everywhere. And and Korlaftis too has the production, and he had it since he was a true freshman. Yep. Obviously, this past year wasn't able to see a ton of him due to COVID and the injuries and all that stuff. But still, now coming back this year, I, I, he's got to be that name to watch at Purdue when you're turning the football when you're when you're, when you're turning those those games on. All right, number nine on Bruce Feldman's freaks list, number two on PFS draft board, LSU cornerback Derek Stingley Jr., the least, another very not surprising situation here. He ran a 4-3 flat, has dropped 10 pounds, is focused on getting leaner there at LSU, wants to play both sides of the ball. The fact that Derek Derek Stingley is putting in this kind of work, a guy that is already projected as a top five player, number one cornerback in the draft, again, speaks to just the type of prospect we're talking about. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing here. We know he's freak, but the – the fact that he is now committed to getting freakier when he could have rested on his laurels, quite frankly. Everyone's pumping him up, gassing this dude up since his true freshman year, calling him the next big thing, saying if he would have come out that year in the draft, he would have been the first corner drafted. He could have come back and said, oh, yeah, I'm going to be the first corner drafted no matter what I do. Well, he's putting in the work necessary to keep getting better. And like I said, thinks he's going to beat that 4-3-40 and 42-inch vertical at the combine. That would be a sight to behold. Those would be – that's why the comp was – in the draft guy, like I said, Champ Bailey, because that's the kind of athlete Champ Bailey was, was just 428, 44-inch for insane numbers. I think Stingley could be in that realm. That Champ Bailey comp, I think other draft analysts are going to jump in on that, but you got you to you plant your flag there. That's you. Champ. Champ now, Bailey's good. That's a high bar, obviously, Hall of Famer. But but I think you we've talked about player comps before. But so it's you're very, not this, saying... is a, this is also a Hall of Fame type of prospect. He's yeah. going to go as high as any corner's gone in recent memory. So As high as Akuda? All right, I bet. last one here in the top 10 of Bruce Feldman's Freaks list, and then we'll jump a little bit further, but Iowa center Tyler Linderbaum, your guy, your guy, smaller size guy that's added weight and added a ton, just been continually to improve from a skill step standpoint. Talking to Tristan Wurst about just how much this guy has improved is obviously super special, but we always knew he was that super explosive guy. He had pro football focus, graded as nation's top center this past year and pass blocker in the Big Ten, six foot three, 290 pounds, one five five, ten 10-yard split. He is as explosive as it gets for the center position. Yeah, and the number I love here, four two two short shuttle, one guy. One offensive lineman has posted a number faster than that. Care to guess who that is at the combine? Lane Johnson? Nope. It's, uh, it's a center. It'd be a nice, be a nice career for Linderbaum to live up to. I don't know. Jason Kelsey. Really? Yes. Wow. You see, great. So that's that's some that's some company there for Linderbaum in terms of just how agile this dude is at the center position. All right, before we jump to the next ones here, going to have to tell you guys this. Western and Southern, a proud sponsor of the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Number 20 on the freaks list. Can we, can we pause? I needed to – he's not in PFS Top 100. He might not even be, you know, a top draft prospect for us. But did you read some of these numbers for Master Teague, the Ohio State running back? He's number Insane. 19 on this list. 5'11", 225. Broad jumps 11 feet, 40-inch vert, and a 4'3", If those, they, 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 called the biggest height, weight, speed freak on the Ohio State. Yeah. 
If he's putting those kind of, I, I don't see that on tape. I haven't seen that on tape. No, he reminds me of a lot. Nal Davis. Oh wow, from Arkansas running back. Yeah, who went like four three four, was five. It was like he was like six foot, like two twenty five. Went four three four. I think like forty plus inch vertical, but just could not do anything side outside a straight line. Yeah, could not make a guy miss to save his life. Because you haven't seen that side to side from Master Teague, but in a straight line, yeah, he's uh, he's a monster. That is a unit. But number twenty, the guy who is in PFF's top fifty, and someone we've already you know spoken a lot about is the Cincinnati edge defender Myje Sanders. Talk about another guy. Really explosive in a straight line. Six foot five, 260 pounds, ran a four five six forty this offseason, four ten shuttle, broad jump ten two, vertical of thirty-five inches. That is what you're looking for yep. along the edge. You want two th- here's the number that you need to bring up again, or I need to bring up again. Six foot five, two sixty. He but he look he's got he's got length for days. This yeah. is not a big brute. This is a lengthy guy who has it all it's split you know out something i don't it's it's splitting it's it's like it's di- it's proportion well he's yes, well proportioned he's a well proportion 260 yeah he's six that, five 260 he's the ideal body he's got that ideal edge body type that's tall lean and with the length to you know play and have that advantage that sort of boxer's advantage that we talk about the reach that can help you make and win first contact battle regularly and to be that explosive an athlete i think the only thing is 84.3 overall grade. It was the 11th highest graded group of five edge defender last year. It just to really get on board with it, you got to see dominant. Like to really get on board with those. I mean, those are top 10 sort of physical tools. He can be a top 10 pick. To be that coming out of UC though, you better dominate the competition in yeah. front of you. You better go to Notre Dame this year and go to town in that game and be an unblockable sort of player. If you're just kind of a guy at that level of competition, then, then that's why he's you know 32nd on the pff draft board because we just haven't seen him take over to that degree moving forward here did you see this southern illinois guard i know he's not but yeah. i'm reading some of these numbers man six foot two 327 squats 800 and benches 500. i mean you're, you're these are monsters you have yeah. monsters from around the country here but we're going to go to uh christian harris uh, alabama linebacker number 27 on bruce feldman's freaks list a top 30 player 30th overall on pff's draft board um you're looking at some of these numbers here six foot two 232 power cleans 405 super explosive guy this is another one of those alabama linebackers that has those tools that people are going to flock to this one's no surprise and the power cleans the one that you love to see on the defensive side of the ball. That is a guy who will power clean is basically how hard can you from a standstill rock, you know, shock an offensive lineman, stick a running back in the hole. That's what power cleaning that movement kind of that's where it translates to on a football field. It is explosiveness, pure explosiveness. So uh this is no surprise with Christian Harris. Like he crushes running backs in pass pro, just with a head of steam downhill, he goes, erupts through defense offensive linemen so uh i'm a big fan of his game need to see a few more plays and coverage not get lost as much but the three down athleticism it's there and there that is no question with him they also rushed him a ton this past year yeah. 116 pass rushing snaps 31 total pressures and a 76.3 pass rushing grade along with one pick and four pbus in pass defense number 30 on bruce feldman's free list liberty quarterback malik willis the 16th overall player on pff strap board another one of those names where it's like no surprise you know malik willis is going to be on here i was expecting a faster 40 though four five 40 38 and a half inch vertical i was thinking four fours for this guy he's 230 pounds so those are four, five, 30 and a half inches at 230 pounds. That's like 
those are better numbers than Joe Mixon. He's, he's Joe Mixon size with better athleticism numbers at the quarterback position. That's kind of insane. And now we like him a lot as a passer, but you have to, this has this, this has to be utilized when he gets to the NFL. That's and a running back that frame. Is, that is, and those are elite running back numbers. That's not just good running back numbers. For a guy that size, those are exceptional numbers. If you, you know, if and when he does, I actually put those up. This dude is going to be, like I said, in that tier one. Of he's going to be in that high end tier at the running at the quarterback position once he gets to the NFL of runners. That completely alters how you have to game plan against. So yeah. that's why you know 16th on the PFF draft board, despite very pedestrian by college football standards passing numbers last year a lot of people i've seen on the timeline making comparisons to kyler murray are they absurd for that yeah because i mean kyler murray i'm not sure he really breaks tackles he just avoids them when he's going to actually take a real hit he's sliding he's going down yeah he's not, he's not really baseball doesn't sliding. need that but willis is more like i mean just running style wise i he's more built like russell wilson where he's solid can take a can take a lick, could actually break a tackle. Number 40 on Bruce Feldman's freaks list. Also, um, number, sorry, 13 on PFS draft board, Washington cornerback Trent McDuffie. Uh, Washington continues to turn these guys out. 5'11", 195, a 41 and a half inch vertical. Also, I think had a 10'9 broad here, nearly an 11 foot broad. Explosive dude again. And I think, you know, everyone looks at the 40 when the combine turns on. But Trent, Mc, you know, th those those numbers matter. When you're looking to get explosive numbers, you're looking at the jumps, 41 and a half inch vertical and an a nearly an 11 foot broad at 5'11", 195 are special numbers for McDuffie. Yeah, when you're a shorter corner, Listed at 5'11". Your college corner listed, not listed at six foot tall, means you're like 5'10". Because you're anywhere in the neighborhood, you're going to get listed at six feet tall. But how are you going to make up for that when you're a shorter corner on the outside? What do you have to, that can keep you in phase or keep you at the catch point with a six foot four with the Julio Jones, with mm -hmm. a guy like that? Well, 41 half inch vertical and 10 nine broad jumps, pretty, that, that's going to that's gonna help you out a lot once you get to the next level. That's what you'd like to see from, like I said, a smaller corner. He's another guy, too, that has been really good right out of the gate. You know, he's yeah. a true junior this year. As a true freshman, was dominant. Played in all 13 games, earned an 83.7 PFF coverage grade. Rarely allowed a lot of yards at the catch. A few missed tackles as well. Only two missed tackles in two years there at Washington. 994 snaps played, only two missed tackles for him. I think I do think that McDuffie, in what is obviously a loaded cornerback class, as, you know, as a guy that maybe is getting overlooked by the Derek Stingleys. I mean, you've brought up, you know, the guy at Alabama. You got a mod sauce Gardner from Cincinnati. I do think that McDuffie, don't sleep on the kid. Washington and Jimmy Lake specifically continue to churn out talent at that position. Um, 42, friend of the pod, Noah Daniels, a guy who's uh, trying to get back healthy, trying to come back from injury, but when he's healthy, is special. And for, for the reasons that, he is an absolute freak athletically. Six foot, 195, um, what? Uh, he was a big track guy, bench 405, hand clean 400, 427, 40-yard dash. Again, if this guy stays healthy and he can get out there, I honestly think he's going to be one of those guys that rises dramatically up boards. I know a lot of, you know, Jim Nagy of the Senior Bowl is already looking at him as a player that if he's healthy will be, you know, brought down to Mobile. I honestly think health, health is the only thing kind of standing in the way of him really being a legit prospect in 2022. Yeah, I don't think that so the 400-pound hand clean – if you ever hang clean before, that number is out of this world for a 195-pound man. Tristan Wirfs, now obviously it's not necessarily as comparable. Tristan Wirfs did 450. That was his, you know, record-breaking hang clean at Iowa that everyone, you know, cakes their pants over. 
myself included, <laughs> but Tristan Wirfs is 320 pounds. That is, you know, one and a half, less than one and a half times body weight. That is twice Noah Daniels' body weight that he's hand cleaning. That is an insane number. The dude is very explosive. Like I said, 427. He has the speed. The athleticism is all there. Health. That's it. Dude's just got to play some football. Played fewer than 400 snaps in his career. Man, I am really hoping he can get healthy because he has got some special, special talent, some special tools. All right, college football season is just around the corner to celebrate DraftKings Sportsbook. New sponsor of the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast and America's top-rated sportsbook app is putting new players in the center of the action with $200 in free bets instantly. If you bet $1 or more on any college football game, DraftKings Sportsbook is safe, secure, and reliable, located right here in the United States, so it's easy to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF, PFF to receive $200 in free bets when you place $1 bet on any college football game. That's promo code PFF to get your free $200 in free bets instantly for a limited time only, for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania only new customers only restrictions apply see draftkings.com sportsbook for details gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or at in Indiana 1-800-9-WITH-IT we're on to the bottom few here Traylon Burks the, the number that stood out for me so he's number 53 on the on the on the Feldman list 26th ranked player on PFF's draft board the wide receiver out of Arkansas nearly 11 inch hands those are some mitts and for a guy that's going to be a big contested catch type, Traylon Burks, those that's a big number that stands out in addition to obviously some of the other numbers that Feldman has listed here. Yeah, and as much as I don't think hand size is an end-all, be-all, it well, helps in terms of like how well you are. It helps a lot in terms of hauling in football passes. I just Me and my brother are both six foot tall. We're about the same build. I have nine and a quarter inch chance. He has 10 and a quarter inch chance. I have no fucking clue how for, for make any jokes you want. I've heard them all before, but he had a lot better hands than I did growing up. It just helps a lot when you can uh, hit when you've got an extra inch and a half of Traylon Burks, 10 and three quarters inches, uh, bigger than anyone uh, at the 2020 NFL Combine, any wide receiver. That's going to help a lot. And now he has nine drops on 87 catchable in his career, but he's been very good in contested situations, eight of 12 last year. That's just going to help a lot, and especially when you are, you know, the rest of his physical profile is pretty insane too. Uh, that's why he's top five. That's why he's top five in PFF. Also, also some sure. good perspective on that Noah Daniels number. He's power cleaning 320. Noah Daniels is hang cleaning 400 at yeah. like 30 pounds less. Yeah. Like Noah Daniels, again, that is an explosive, explosive dude. Yeah. Burks, man. And 320 is a good days. number. Yeah. Um, let's jump to Ikem or Iki Ikwanu. This number was a little ri ridiculous. This this forty number that he had listed here, I'm scrolling down. He had at six foot four, three hundred twenty seven pounds. I think he ran a forty four point nine two forty yard dash. <laughs> or no 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 that that's um the comparison to Garrett Bradbury. But they're saying he can get in that range. That's how they said he'll run faster. The strength coach said that's the Garrett Bradbury. And he's the the explosive guy that we've talked about, the NC State offensive lineman, the guy who ranked first and possibly graded run blocks this past year among any. Uh, returning offensive lineman in the Power yeah. Five, um, we we he has here. Bruce Feldman led the team with 50 pancake blocks, 22 knockdowns. I think that's something that the team itself charts. But still, he was out there bullying kids. And I know uh, D Dave Dorn, the head coach who's been on this podcast, the NC State head coach. That's the guy he talked about the most. He's the guy that you know. They people are watching NC State football for Icky Iquano. Yeah, there are some explosive rising junior offensive linemen, Iquano. Obviously, Evan Neal, who's number one 
on the list from Alabama. Kenyon Green from Texas A&M. This is a very freaky offensive line class, uh, like I said, of rising juniors here. But I don't think it's one another one that's – it's not a surprise. The fact that he led uh, all guards last year, big-time blocks, as a true sophomore, again, shouldn't happen. It happens when you are that big of a freak. And if he does go sub-492 at 327 pounds, he's probably going to be a first-round pick. I mean, he's 25th on the PFF draft board right now. Still needs to get better in pass pro, but that's – you don't you don't see that. Yeah, you, that does not happen a lot. And those guys that do do that, they go high in the draft. Yeah, just a fifty five point three pass blocking grade this past year, but where he really shows up ninety one point two run blocking grade in twenty twenty and an eighty five point zero run blocking grade in twenty nineteen. Iki Kwanu is as advertised as a run blocker. Two more guys here, and then we'll jump to the interviews um, with Colorado head coach Carl Dorrell, Texas's Devondre Sweat, and Kentucky running back Chris Rodriguez Jr. But Drake London. Guy that we've talked about on this podcast quite a bit, quite a bit. Clay Hilton called him the next coming of Mike Evans, the next big thing in college football. Six foot five, two ten, thirty eight inch vert. A guy that also averaged twenty nine points and twelve rebounds in high school. <laughs> he, I, I think, he also wanted to play. He played at USC. Yeah, he played at the UC, USC basketball team as, as well. A freshman, yeah. The, Drake London. What you we talked you you said big slot in the NFL. He's yeah. a big slot for USC. He's got, Helton said he's going to play on the outside and the inside this year. But you kind of project him as that big slot. Any any surprises here with London being here at sixty on the Bruce Feldman freaks list? No, because he is he's sudden, but he's just not fast. Like he, you see, you see, he looks like a basketball player. Like he, you see that short area quicks that change of direction ability, the leaping ability was obvious. I mean, if you watch his dunk contest back in high school, which I would recommend, they're fun. Hashtag fun to watch. The 30-inch vertical is not a surprise for a dude like that. But I, I just – I think he kind of is a guy that is who he is. I'm not sure his tape this upcoming season is going to – unless he really does get faster, which, I mean, we've seen it happen to guys before, but you're just going to have to accept that he might not be a vertical threat, but where he does win, catch point, ball skills, after the catch, he's about as good as it gets in the country. I mean, he is a monster after the catch. So – uh, a very, I don't want to say a very easy evaluation. I don't think anyone's ever an easy evaluation, but a very distinct strength and weaknesses are ready for him. Last one here, Jaquan Brisker, soon to be a friend of the pod, working to get on the show here. Hardest hitting safety in college football. Six foot one, 203, 407 short shuttle. According to Bruce Feldman's free list, he's here at 76. Also had a 35-inch vert, benching 360, cleaning 315. Here we go. Another one of these safeties that where I'm so happy we're talking about a good safety class. Yep. We've been waiting. We've been waiting. And Brisker, another one of those guys, he is PFF's 40th ranked player on the preseason draft board. Yeah, and it's like, how do you, how are you the best tackling safety in the country? So Quan Brisker, the best tackling safety in the country, missed only two tackles all last season. Well, when you have a 4.07 short shuttle, that means you can mirror on a dime. Hard, to, get, hard, hard are, to lose tackles. Exactly. It's just, that's those are the guys that, the ability to change directions quickly while also being a physical presence, while also having those strength numbers. That's how you are, like I said, the best tackling safety in the country. So excited to see what he does kind of in his second year as a starter, more from a coverage perspective, because we're saying box safety right now, maybe dime linebacker, that's the coverage on the back end, still a question mark. So that's a TBD, but a guy who's very good at what he does, which is, like I said, playing the run, being physical, and even in coverage underneath, he's, I feel like his instincts and whatnot are still good. I'm excited for Brisker. I have one more nugget for you before we get to the, uh, yeah. the interviews here. Tresh sent me this, PFF underscore Anthony. 
it was Bruce Arians talking about Joe Tryon, the Washington edge, the rookie. Mm-hmm. They drafted in the first round. The guy who did not play last year. Completely transformed his body. We've already talked about that a ton on this podcast. Arians said, someone asked him about you know Joe Tryon's um, repertoire of pass rush moves. He said, you should probably ask Tristan and Donovan, Tristan Wurst and Donovan Smith, because he's kicking their ass pretty good sometimes. I don't think he needs any more moves. That's for sure. Maybe a little more strength, but he's got plenty of that too. Already praising up Tryon for the move. I didn't think his moves list was going to be the thing that's you know jumping out in preseason or training camp or whatever it is. I, I, I'm kind of impressed by that. He's wearing the number nine. I saw an image of him with the visor on. I'm getting a little <laughs> interested. Joe Tryon, man, I'm excited. How clo- We're too close to football, man. We are so ex- I'm freaking stoked for this preseason, too. We're going to get to see Joe Tryon likely suit up with Bruce Arians and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's going to do it for this portion of the 2-4 Drafts podcast. Now, interviews with Colorado head coach Carl Dorrell, Texas's def- Texas defensive tackle Tavondre Sweat, and Kentucky running back Chris Rodriguez, Jr. You know, right. definitely, we feel uh, we feel like we have a better team this year, and mm-hmm. you know, we we had a good um, you know for the process we went through last in uh, you know last year this time there was so much uncertainty about the season. Matter of fact, I think we we felt uh, as soon as August hit, mm-hmm. you know, there was a chance that the season was not going to happen, and then I think shortly within the next week or so, this time a year ago, they they told us there was no season, and. Uh, it was unfortunate, but I think our players, um, you know, rebounded from it when they we did start to, to have a, a semblance of a season that started in November. And uh, so the team came back together and did some really positive things, had a good season, ran one four out of six games. So I think we, we, we made uh, a lot of uh, progress from last year to this year. And, you know, since uh, we've had a normal offseason, meaning that, you know, after the bowl game against Texas, which we lost, we Obviously, we were disappointed by that, but it, the best thing about it was that we came back in January knowing that we're going to have a normal, you know, off-season training program. And so we were able to do that. We hired a new strength coach from Shannon Turley, uh, who's done a phenomenal job with our guys. So that started in February. So we had a couple months of really good training. We had a very productive spring. You know, you mentioned Chris Wilson. He's now our new uh, defensive coordinator. He's a D-line coach last year. And uh, so we, you know, what we wanted to do defensively and the, ch- the reason why we made some changes is that we wanted to simplify our system. And, uh, and I felt that he was the right man to, to kind of lead in that process. So, you know, we got a chance actually in spring ball to kind of put the, you know, our, our new system of defense in place and, and our players really gravitated well to it. I thought they made some huge strides in the process of doing that. And uh, so we came out of spring feeling like our, our defensive system is going to be uh, very much a, a very player-friendly type of system where they wouldn't have to have so many checks and adjustments that they need to make and can can naturally kind of, you know, relate to the offensive sets and formations within the certain calls that we had. And I think our, our defensive players really gravitated with that with that thought and, and done a nice job with it. So, you know, we, we just came out of the, the summer training and, you know, the summer training went fantastic. You know, a lot of guys made a, a lot of personal uh, growth and both physically and from a knowledge standpoint. So, you know, they did some player-led practices on their own and did some really good things that I feel like there's a there's a level of confidence that is completely different in terms of the aura of this team. Uh, they, they look like they're ready to go. So, um, so it just be, we're just where we are right now. You know, you mentioned 
you know, the, N the NIL uh, information that was passed in the summer, you know, like all of us, you know, it's all kind of new and, 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 you know, I know there's opportunities for a lot of student athletes to, you know, to gain some, uh, some financial, you know, support in a lot of different ways. And so we're, we're still navigating through that in terms of what they can do and, and what they could do. And, and uh, that's going actually pretty well as, as, as well. But I think the, the story on that, though, Austin, is the fact that, you know, for, for, for players, particularly for us being a new program and, and really not people knowing too much about the, the I would say, the, the entire program, you know, we, we need to put a great step forward for a lot of those things to, in terms of the financial support that they can earn. You know, we have to put a great product on the field. And so it starts with playing great football. And, and getting fan support and getting people that, you know, want to get to know these student athletes at a little more intimate level for really for them to really, I would say, capitalize on their on, on their performance, which I think is kind of the, the nuts and bolts for for getting some some inducements along the way. So but it's going along really well. It really is. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think the more you have, you know, fan support and fan engagement around the team is obviously going to drive those NIL opportunities for the players yes. on at, at Colorado. I'd love to shift a little focus. I'm glad you brought up the defense, but offensively, I think there's a ton of talent in the quarterback room there at Colorado. Brendan Lewis, JT Shroud. I'd love to hear, you know, you speak to the talent you have in that room and just just the um, the skill set each of those guys have. Yeah, those guys have really come. I would say full circle from where they were a year ago and. You know, uh, Brendan Lewis is, was our freshman, true freshman. He came in mid-year, a year ago in 2020, and he missed the spring practice because we didn't have a spring. And we didn't have much summer, which, you know, he wasn't able to really, you know, uh, digest a lot of the information, you know, given a new offense and a new coach and all that stuff. So, you know, he really started his learning process really when we started training camp last year in October. So, you know, our ramp up was later than most uh, last year. If you guys remember, you know, we didn't start our six game season until uh, November 5th last year. So his first really instance in our offense was really in October, which he came a long way, but he just wasn't quite ready to play in, in at the early on of that early part of that season. So, you know, you fast forward through the season and, you know, we're at the bowl side and, and then, you know, Sam's playing and he's having struggling a little bit. And we, we felt like we needed somebody to kind of give us a change of pace. So we put Brendan in there and really that was his first time playing collegiate football was at the end of the year. And I say he passed in, in flying colors, given that to be his first, you know, exposure, you know, playing live, you know, games that count, games that matter football. And, you know, he showed a lot of poise, confidence. You know, he made great plays with the with his legs uh, outside of the pocket. And I think he had a running touchdown you know, tight there in the, in, the, in the goal line area. And and he, he made some plays with, with his arm. You know, he's made a few throws. And, you know, Dimitri Stanley was, was a big target for him. And, you know, he had a good game at that point in time against Texas. So I would say – from, from how he played in that game really gave him a, a big, big boost of confidence that he carried through this year. So, you know, he's one of those guys that I think uh, uh, people need to be on the, on the watch for because he's a completely different player. He has uh, a good deal of run skill, you know, within that position. He has a great arm. Um, he has a great presence. I think the team really rallies around him. He has good leadership qualities. So he is definitely a factor, you know, for our, you know, success going forward. Now we, 
you know, at the end of the season, after, you know, we ended up uh, fortunately to get a, a good transfer quarterback from Tennessee and JT Stroud. And he has done a phenomenal job as well, you know, in the short period of time since he's been here with digesting our offense, you know, and then performing that in the spring. And he did some really good things in the spring. And so we feel like at that position, even though we lost Sam Neuer, we feel like it's a very talented position. You know, now JT's more of a pro style uh, type kid. Um, he's still very athletic. He still run the ball and do the, some of the run game that we allow our quarterbacks to do. But he's one of those guys that has a great feel in the pocket. And he does a great job, you know, with reading defenses and going through progressions. And he has a terrific arm. And so he's, you know, he's very confident that he can be a, a big factor for us too. So, you know, we're going to, you know, let those two kind of duke it out a little bit, you know, for training camp. And we think that there's a really good chance that both these guys will be big factors for us in our success uh, this season. Gotcha. And I bet both of them, Lewis and Shroud, are already huge fans of LaVisca Chenault's younger brother, Levante Chenault, a guy that maybe doesn't have the same absurd dynamism as his older brother, but still a guy that can make moves after the catch and those things. What are your expectations, or I guess your expectations for usage and his role in this offense? And then also just what, what kind of ceiling does this kid have? You know, he's, he's a dynamic player. There's no question. You know, he's from a good bloodline, like you mentioned, with his older brother that's a really good player and he's playing well at, at Jacksonville right now. And, you know, I think Levante, is a, he's taller, he's a leaner player. His brother was a little more compact and, you know, built like a, you know, kind of in between a, a tight end and a receiver where I think Levante looks like a pure, you know, receiver type, but has a tremendous skill. You know, he does have really good skill. Um, he's a young player, you know, that's what people, you know, really don't realize he's still a, a young freshman that's really doing some really positive things. And, but he's, he has a great route running ability. He has great ball skills. He has great speed. You know, he has all the facets you want at the position. And we're hoping that this is going to be a, a good breakout year for him to, to kind of stand on his own, so to speak, and not live behind the shadows of, you know, what his brother's accomplishments were. And, but, um, you know, he still has some work to continue to develop, like most young players. But that whole receiver group is a young group. You know, the oldest player, you know, th that, that played uh, a lot from last year is Dimitri Stanley, and he's a, he'll be a junior this year. So, overall, it's a, pretty, it's a pretty young group. You know, so for him, to, he should be a big factor in, in what we do offensively. You know, he's had a great summer. So, uh, you know, we're hoping to take those, those, those next couple steps of improvement and, and, and growth from him to really start to see that talent on the field. You know, I'm glad you bring up development and, and how these players improve because you've been, you know, a wide receivers coach for a long time, also a former wide receiver at UCLA. I'd be interested here, you know, I talked to, to PJ Fleck about this, also a longtime wide receivers coach and former wide receiver about what, what traits at the receiver position are the most coachable, or I guess another way to phrase it would be, you know, not necessarily traits, but what attributes, what can you do the most to improve your skill set as a receiver? And then what are those other traits that you kind of, that are kind of God given or kind of naturally given to those receivers? What is, what is coachable and what can be improved? and how do you get there? And also, what is kind of that natural talent you seek for, that floor talent that you seek for uh, at the receiver position? Well, that's what I do like about receivers. And in my experience, when I've been coaching receivers, is I like guys with all different types of talent. You know, I like guys that are big. I like guys that are, you know, my height, which is roughly around six foot. There's, like, there's a couple guys that are shorter than me. They all have different attributes, and and I believe your your skill group should have that. You don't want to have a group of just all tall receivers with the same 
type of uh, athletic skill. I like guys that have a little more dynamics in certain areas of, of what they do. You know, I would say with Levante, he's, you know, he's a, he's a really good basketball player. So he has a really good ability after the catch of making people miss and getting extra yards just because he has such short, quick feet and, and, and can really put his foot in the ground and change direction. So those, those are really strong attributes for him. Dimitri Stanley, who's Mark, kind of our veteran receiver, you know, he's on, he's on the shorter side. You know, he's a guy that's played in the slot a lot, but he, we're planning on playing him both outside and inside this year because he has great feet, great run running, uh, route running ability, good ball skills. So, you know, he's a guy that we'd love to be able to move around and, and really utilize his skill set. So, you know, all those things, the things, the qualities that I like the most of a receiver is obviously catching the ball one. You know, the ball's thrown to you, hopefully catching it and gaining yards but what they do after the catch. And, and that, that's really my NFL experience is that I wanted guys that were dynamic after the play was transacted. I made the catch, okay, what's gonna happen now is can he get us you know, 10, 15 more yards when there's in a normal situation that most receivers would only get four or five yards after a catch. I wanna see if guys can really break tackles and have great play strength and move the football even further beyond what the expectation is you know, in, in a situation like that. So we do, we do feel we have some dynamic players. A lot of, a lot of it though, like I told you, is pretty young mm -hmm. and, but it's something that I know will, they'll build confidence as we move ourselves through, through this, uh, this fall camp. Only a couple more questions for you, coach. I really appreciate the time. And I want to focus a little bit on the defensive side of the ball as well. I know Chris Wilson coming in as the defensive coordinator saw significant improvement that you spoke to earlier in the interview from this from this unit this past year. Two defensive standouts that I know PFF is really high on, Makai Blackman and Nate Landman. I know you mentioned that Landman is close to 100% at Pac-12 Media Days. I guess what are your expectations for Blackman and Landman, and do you see them being kind of the top dogs on that defensive unit? They are definitely certainly one two of the, the top guys that are in that core of our defense. You know, Nate's played a lot of football, um, has had a lot of production, uh, is definitely one of the better linebackers in our, you know, in our conference, or let, let alone in the nation. So, you know, he's coming off of surgery and, you know, he's, he looks great. He's in great shape. Um, you know, he's, he's close to 100%. We want to do the right thing with him as he goes into camp of just making sure we're continuing that progress through camp so that he's completely 100% at the start of the season. But he's one of those guys. He doesn't need a tremendous amount of rest because he's a veteran player and really has a great football IQ about what his role is on our defense. You know, Makai is, is I would say, he's he had a really good season towards the end of the season. He, he did some really positive things with coverage, you know, making plays up and getting pass, pass, bro, uh, tech, pass breakups and, and he's had a couple of opportunities to get his hands on the ball. And, you know, so I, I think he's he's really starting to gel and, and get to a level of performance that uh, that we, we all thought he could attain. You know, he did that towards the end of the year. And we're hoping that he continues to bridge that forward in being a really good player for us on the edge, you know, at the corner position. I would also say that Carson Wells, you know, he's a name that, you know, he's had a lot of production last year in the six games that he played. He had you know, he almost led our conference in tackles for losses. He had sacks. He had a couple interceptions. You know, he had some fumble recoveries. He's been a guy that's been kind of a, a knack of just being around the football and making positive plays. So, you know, Carson Wells is, is a guy that we think is, is also a big part of that. And, you know, Terrence Lang, you know, Terrence Lang up front is, 
is one of our veteran defensive. He was linemen. next on my list. <laughs> yeah, he's he's uh you know he's had off season surgery too, and you know he's he's almost at that hundred uh, percent you know part of his career, uh, a part of where he is in terms of his physical condition. But he's uh you know he's he's a veteran player too. He's one of those guys that shouldn't need many reps, but he just needs to get himself in physical shape to to be able to to play at a level that we expect him to but we feel like we have a good core on the defensive side that are really going to give us a chance to be a very impactful defense 100 I, mean, I think you're also really fortunate to have a lot of these guys coming back you know Mackay, nate wells lang i think the the ceiling for this team especially after so much improvement in 2020 is is really special i think the last name i'll bring up before i let you go the transfer robert barnes coming over from oklahoma what have you seen from him and what are your early impressions of barnes the, the, the biggest thing that I say what Robert has done in, in such a really short period of time, because he came in last this spring uh, in the spring semester, is that he he's shown great leadership qualities right from the start as soon as he got in our program. Uh, he was a great guy in terms of leading in the offseason, in terms of our training. Uh, he leads all of our player-led practices and making sure that, you know, all everybody's there and doing, all, doing their roles and working hard and stuff like that. So from a leadership standpoint, he's done a tremendous job. And then he's really cemented himself in our defense too. He's we needed some more experience at linebacker. We lost two uh, last year, given off of last year's season, and uh, he was a, he's able to come in and really I think improve us and make us even better at that position than than where we were a year ago last year. So we with having him on the field and Nate Lamb and, and Carson Wells and you know not even going to fail the mission of Jack Lamb, who was another transfer we had from from Notre Dame. At an outside linebacker position, we feel that that whole front seven is a completely different front seven than what we had a year ago in a good way. Fantastic stuff, Coach. I really appreciate the time, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. I appreciate it. Thank you, Austin. Thanks for having me on. Now joining the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast is current Texas defensive tackle, Tavondre Sweat. Tavondre, I've been looking forward to this interview all day. I'm excited to have you on, my friend. Yes, sir. Me too. I'm excited. Let's start with kind of not the elephant in the room, but a lot of people are focusing on you getting healthy. You know, you had offseason shoulder surgery this past offseason. What's the latest from the doctors? How's that coming along? I know you weren't able to participate in spring, but what about summer? How close are you to being 100 percent? I'm 100 percent now. Oh, gotcha. Fantastic, man. I'm right. I'm ready to rock and roll. And when does does training camp start for you? You guys already doing padded practices or where are you guys at? Uh, No, we start August 6th, I believe. Oh, a couple days. Yeah. Nice, man. So you'll be 100% at those practices? Oh, yeah. I'm 100% ready to go. Hell, yeah, man. That's going to be freaking awesome. I know a lot of people, a lot of Texas fans looking forward to hearing that. And then, so what weight did you play at this past season? And obviously, with the shoulder surgery, did it have any effect on your weight now? And what are you hoping to play at this upcoming year? Well, this past season, I played at I played at 340. It's mm-hmm. coming up season. Like, this summer, I've been 335, 334, 330, around there. Yeah. Trying to play at least under 334. Oh, wow. Nice. That's awesome, man. That's uh, that's exactly what I mean, especially with how often you're playing on the nose. And I think that gets my my next question, you know, pass rushing from the nose and playing so much nose where you look at the NFL, not a lot of true nose tackles anymore. Vince Wilfork start walking through that door. Not a lot of people playing uh, head above the center as often as you are. Um, I guess I'm interested to hear what, what you feel like your pass rush plan is pre-snap. What goes through your head specifically on passing downs to get through centers and move forward like that? Because I know pre-snap pass rush plan is so much of, of pass rushing success. So what's going through your head pre-snap? Well, you know, I ain't going to tell, tell everybody, you know, my little secret or whatever, but I'm just sticking to normal, you know. Yeah. I just 
you know, get off the ball. You know what I'm saying? Like, but I'm just say pass rush. Gotcha. Just, I, don't 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 give away the secret sauce. <laughs> Do you uh, in the off season have you had any opportunities to go back and watch film on yourself? And if uh, and when you have, what what have you been picking up on? Or if not, have you watched any film on say you know some NFL guys to pick up some moves from them? Yeah, I've been. I watched a little film on myself, like just to see like where I was, mm -hmm. you know, and what I need to get better at this year. And mainly, like my biggest thing is getting my weight down, mm -hmm. you know. So. Yeah. I feel like I'm pretty – I feel pretty good right now since my weight's been down. So that's one of my biggest keys coming in this season. So what have you been doing differently, I guess, this offseason, and what do you plan to do during the season differently to keep that weight down and, and kind of prioritize it? Are you bringing in a nutritionist? Is it a different workout regime? Yeah? Shout out to my guy, Craig. Man. Nice. What, 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 what exactly is he feeding you? Um, he – Hey, I'm eating good. That's all I can say. So I, I remember talking to um, Joe Tryon, the former Washington Edge, and he's a guy that completely transformed his body in the last year. And he said the hardest thing to give up is fast food because it's just so it easy is. and so quick. Is so, that is that similar for you? And I guess what's your favorite fast foods? I probably have to go with like Whataburger. Yeah, you know? and that that's Whataburger's king in Texas. King in Texas. Yeah. Um, all right, back to football here. Enough about the food talk here. Uh, <laughs> um, where do you feel like your biggest strength is as a defensive lineman? What, I guess, do you feel separates you from other defensive tackles in college football? Uh, honestly, I'll probably have to say, ooh, just how big and athletic I am. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like that's a big key of my game of me being so athletic as how big I am. Like, yeah, you won't see as like big people like me as athletic. That so, moves like you, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And what what weight were you when you first got to Texas? When I first first got to Texas, I was three twenty. Oh, okay. Damn, at eighteen years old, dude, you're you're cruising, dude. You're a big boy, man. You're out here grinding. Um, the the next question I have for you is, I guess, what, what are you looking forward to improve on the most? Maybe not not maybe not weight specifically, but your skills. You know, what are you hoping to improve from a skill set standpoint this upcoming year? Honestly, just getting faster, uh, being more like basically just getting better at like loving the game. You feel me? Yeah. Like, I had a a big problem with like all that COVID stuff happened. Yeah. A little bit of my love had went away. Like now I'm just focusing on getting back to where I was and like loving the game as more. And I like having more respect for the game. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. No, totally. I think that's, I mean, COVID affected, I think, a lot of people's love for the game. I, I don't think you're alone yeah. there. Um, uh, some other guys I want to bring up on that Texas defense. We're really excited about it. Obviously, DeMarvion Overshone, and you got Keandre Cobra. And speak to the relationship you have with both those guys. And I guess, nah. do, do you see those two you know, being, the, the, being the leaders of the defense with yourself? Yes, sir. Most definitely. Them, them was like, we like this. We real close. I'm real close <laughs> with them, too. Like, real close. That's fantastic. Them, them the two guys I invite to my wedding. Yeah. You know? Hell yeah. Well, one more question for you, man. And I'll let you go. I really appreciate the time. Um, what is your biggest goal, either as a team or yourself, this upcoming season, and how do you get there? Winning. Winning the Big 12, winning the Natty, just going all the way. Hell yeah. That's, that's my biggest goal. I Like me just doing whatever I can to help the team be successful of winning. Yeah.
I, I couldn't agree more. That's 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 got to be everyone's goal, man. This has been fantastic. I really appreciate the time and best of luck this upcoming season. Yes, sir. Now joining the two for one drafts podcast is current Kentucky running back Chris Rodriguez Jr. I know people call you C Rod. Is C Rod the yes, nickname sir. I go with here, or how, how should yes, I approach sir. this? Yes, sir. C Rod, man, that's what I like. <laughs> Gotcha. We were talking a little bit before we got started about um, the offseason, how that's gone. And you said you're weighing in around, what, 5'11", 227 right now? But uh, what's the goal weight for this year? And uh, 227. And what's the goal weight for this year? And uh, uh, what, what, what weight did you play out last year? Uh, last year I played at 225. But right now my goal is to get down to 220. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was at 220, I think my freshman year is where I felt the fastest and the I felt like really – good like even like working out and stuff like 220 was just the best i've ever felt gotcha yeah i mean this past season was the best we've ever seen you 92.4 pff grade this past year 46 broken tackles people just bouncing off of you and i think you're one of the more underrated players or prospects in the sec and i think Mm -hmm. at the running back position specifically just because the sec churns out so much talent at the running back position in terms of goals for this year are you thinking about hey i want to be the best running back in the SEC, best running back in the country. I guess I'd be yeah. interested here if that's part of your goals or, or what your goals are for 2021. So my goals this year is to – honestly, I don't feed into all the hype about being, like, the best player or whatever. Mm-hmm. My goal is to be the best I can be to help my team win, whether that's catching more balls out of the backfield, whether it's making, like, long runs or something, but – yeah, I don't really feed into all the other stuff uh, that, like, you know, they say, like, I'm – I mean, like, third, I think it was, like, third team all SEC or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't really listen to it. I have my, like, my best friend reads over, he tells me. And I'm like, well, that's cool. I'm still going to do what I got to do. <laughs> that makes – I think that's a, that's a good way to look at it, man. I, I Honestly, I, I'd love to talk a little bit more about Kentucky football. And I really, over mm-hmm. the past, you know, three or four years, how much that culture – has changed and a lot of it has been just the sheer talent that has been there. I, I we yeah. had um, Josh Allen uh, on the PFF podcast network. Talked to him a ton. Mike Edwards, Benny Snell, yeah. uh, and then you even look you know, Logan Stenberg, Lynn Bowden. Like you guys continue. Yeah. Kel- Kelvin Joseph, Jamin Davis. This this team is churning out talent at a rate we really haven't seen in a long time at Kentucky. What do you, obviously a lot of that's recruiting and bringing the right guys here? But how yeah. much do you feel the culture has changed at Kentucky since you got there in 2018? Man, it has changed a lot. Like, when I first got here, I mean, you could tell, like, everybody was kind of clued in. But over the past few years, it's like everybody, like, has started to come together. Like, at first, it was like they had a lot of people that are doing it, but then they had a few people that we call vampires, whatever. They just, where they just suck the blood out of the team. Like, they don't really want to practice. They don't, they don't care to be there. Yeah. Uh, even if they're not playing, like, scout team guys, they're like, man, I don't like coming to practice. Like, we don't do nothing. Now, it's like everybody wants to be there. Everybody wants to help make the team better because everybody's trying to get to Atlanta. So yeah. that's one of the main things I, I could really say about the culture uh, around the Kentucky facility. Yeah, I mean, it's shown up in, in the success of the program and really where the program is heading. I mean, to hear what your relationship was or even is with Benny Snell. I know Benny <laughs> Snell kind of handed the keys to you yeah. in 2020. Um, and yeah. obviously you're now the feature back there at Kentucky. Do you still talk to Benny, and how much did you learn from him in the time you spent with him? Yeah, man, Benny's my dog, man. Uh, I don't know if y'all know, but around Kentucky, they were calling me Mini Benny or whatever. <laughs> so, I mean, at first, like, me and I talked to him about it or whatever uh, and uh, a couple other people. Uh, the Mini Benny was cool, and then he was like, you know, it's time, like, you know, make your own name or whatever. 
But uh, yeah, me and Benny, man, we we talk all the time. I just texted him, uh, I think, a couple of days ago, uh, talk about some uh, nil stuff or whatever. And uh, you know, as as far as like what I learned from him, man, you, if you've seen that dude practice, like he took every rep, like it was like game reps like he was serious every rep and if he lost the rep like when we do one-on-ones if he lost the rep he's calling you out he's like all right let's go again let's do it again like he came to compete every day and that's something i really took from him because uh when i was in high school like i was like that guy i was like man i don't care like i lose a rep whatever i don't want to practice no more and then he really showed me like yo like if you want to do this man you gotta really clue in to what you want to do so uh yeah that, that's wild because I think that's exactly you know the mentality you want to have on the football field. But off the field, I remember talking to him at the Combine. The dude's all smiles, man. You can't find yeah. a bigger grin than Benny's grin. Yeah. That's crazy that he able, he's able to have that kind of two sides to him. Off the field, obviously, a big vocal leader, a big smiles guy. But, yeah, another guy I want to talk about is, is Lynn Bowden Jr., who I know was a big vocal leader during that 2020 campaign and, yeah. and someone that a lot, a lot of people you know flocked to there at Kentucky. What was your relationship like with him? And I think is, is there anything you took away from that experience? Yeah, so Lynn, that's also my guy. Uh, whenever he comes in town, he uh, hits me up or whatever. We talk. Uh, we don't talk too much uh, anymore. We used to talk a lot. But, uh, yeah, that uh, 2020 season, you know, we had some problems or whatever, so we had to move Lynn to quarterback or whatever. Lynn, he was a guy like – I don't know if y'all remember that year either, but that's the year that I wasn't really getting a lot of reps. And I was, like, out of it. I, was, I didn't want to, like – I mean, I wanted to play, but it's like, man, y'all only going to put me in at the end of the game. Like, I don't really like that or whatever. So, uh, Lynn was like – me and Lynn had a talk, uh, I think it was after the Mississippi State game, maybe. It was after one of those games or whatever. And he was like, yo, just keep your head on – or keep your head on, man. Keep working, keep pushing. And obviously I had – got started playing a lot more or whatever. And, uh, yeah. Gotcha. I want to shift a little bit back over to you and specifically this past season. I already spoke to a couple of the advanced metrics, a 91.6 PFF rusher grade, 46 missed tackles, also a ton of yards after contact. You know, here at PFF, we talk a ton about how much the running back position has evolved, both at the collegiate level and the NFL level. And so much of what you need to do and what running backs need to do now is obviously the passing game, being that versatile piece, being able to pass, protect and run as a pass catcher, but also you have to earn yards. You have to create yards after contact and forcing missed tackles. Is that something that you prioritize consistently in in your preparation or I guess where do you view like the most important skill set for the running back position is yeah so what I think it is is obviously is your yak yards which yard out of contact but from being in college going to NFL I feel like it's important to also catch out of the backfield like that's one of the main things that I'm working on this season and uh I won't say too much but y'all see or whatever <laughs> but uh <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I feel like yak yards, and I do – I work on that all the time. Like, even if it's, like, I'm running and somebody will bump into me, like, while I – it's just, like, little drills that we have that we do. But uh, I've been like that since high school. Like, me and my coach would always, like – he was like, yeah, you need to get your yak yards up or whatever. I'm like, all right, coach. So we would just do, like, little drills day after day and, like, practice. We would just do all that – different types of stuff or whatever. Yeah. 
And I think the, the pass catch, you know, I talked to a lot of running backs kind of in the pre-draft process even. I remember talking yeah. to Miles Sanders coming out of Penn State. You know, he backed up Saquon Barkley, had that one year. And the biggest thing is, like, I got to be I got to be a factor on passing downs. I got to pass protect and be a pass yeah. catcher. So, I, I mean, Travis Etienne, a Clemson, you know, I was talking yeah. to Amari Rodgers, the Clemson wide receiver. He said, Travis Etienne had the worst hands on the football team in freshman year. And then eventually, <laughs> obviously, developed as a pass catcher and so forth. It's something that I think every running back kind of picks up as they progress. Because in high school, yeah. I mean, they just get you the football and you probably light it up, especially – you know, a talent like yourself, um, you know, yeah. looking ahead to this upcoming season for Kentucky, I'd be interested to hear, you know, what you feel are your, or the team's expectations this year. You know, I see got Wondell Robinson, top pass catcher coming back this year. Will Levi's I, I'm interested to hear with Kentucky this upcoming season. What are your guys' expectations? I know you said get to Atlanta. I guess if that is your expectation, how do you guys get there as a team? Yeah. So uh, we've had a talk actually with the whole team and what we do is we're taking every game, week by week we're not looking like obviously our goal is to get to Atlanta but that's like everybody's goal that's the main goal but our main one of our top goals is to take it game by game down by down and just you know winning every quarter and that's how we're going to start and that's how we're going to finish and I mean offensively we uh obviously we we had like a jug challenge or whatever and our coach is like okay well y'all go out there and y'all catch 50,000 y'all want to I mean, you, you know, in the last few years, we haven't really caught a lot of passes or whatever. So coach was like, if y'all want to be great, y'all go out there and the whole skill skill unit, uh, off, or, or the whole skill set, like the whole offense, he was like, yeah, everybody go out there and catch 50,000 balls. So uh, we've been working towards that. Uh, we'll figure out where we're at tomorrow or the day after uh, before camp starts. So. Hell yeah, man. One more question for you. I really appreciate the time. I mean, you know, so, we are big fans of your game as a tackle breaker and yards after contact. I think something that we wrote in the draft guide is you're an absolute bowling ball, but your knives. Do you feel that's your biggest skill set or biggest strength compared to other running backs? And if not, what do you feel separates you from other running backs in the country? Uh, <laughs> I don't really know, like, about the, like, the whole bowling ball and all that. I mean, <laughs> That's that's what they say, or uh, anvil on wheels, is if you've probably heard that. I like that. That's pretty good. Yeah, I, I didn't even know what an anvil was until <laughs> you know, not too long ago or whatever. I had to look it up after they said it or whatever. Oh, man. But, yeah, I feel like what separates me from everybody else is it's not going to be just one dude that hits me and he's not going to take me down. Like, And if it does happen, it's not going to happen often. Every time somebody hits me, I'm trying to run through them, and I'm – I'm going straight to the goal line. That's that's my that's my goal every time I get the ball. That's awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate the time, and I wish you the best of luck this upcoming season and and beyond sir, that. Yes, sir. Appreciate you. <sighs> Have to mention this. I'm wearing it. A new partner on the Two Foreign Drafts podcast, Homefield Apparel. You probably already know about Homefield. They are absolutely monsters in the college football apparel space. Right here, LSU, hold that tiger. I got a bunch of other gear on the way as well. And you can too. Homefield Apparel is a premium collegiate clothing brand out of Indianapolis. Incredibly comfortable. Officially, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. Homefield is the middle of big in the middle of Big News Saturday, season two, where they launch a new school collection every Saturday at 12 p.m. Eastern for 16 weeks straight. They recently just they just recently released Kentucky, Wisconsin, and Florida. But this Saturday, we've got the Georgia 
Bulldogs. I have the LSU shoot, LSU shirt here. I got an Aztecs one. I got a Texas one on the way. I'm just going to keep getting college stuff. I'm not going to stop here, Mike. I'm not going to stop. Have to keep doing it. You can too. Use promo code PFF to get 15% off your first purchase at homefieldapparel.com. That is promo code PFF for 15% off your first purchase. Get ready for college football tailgate season. Boom. We are done. Interviews with Colorado's Carl Dorrell, Devondre Sweat, Chris Rodriguez Jr., all three of those guys. Fantastic additions to the show here. Until next time, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to Two for One Drafts wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to continue to do two per week until August 23rd. Launching the rebrand and three episodes per week for the foreseeable future. Going to be a fantastic treat for the Two for One Drafts listeners when we get back. This is Austin Gale, Mike Renner, producer Max Chadwick, producer Mike Quinn, Two for One Drafts. 